This is the Sergio Rodriguez Show. Welcome, everybody, to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other. Today, a little treat, doing a little midweek show, because I feel the need to discuss the baseball contracts and how out of hand these things are getting. I spoke a little last week about the Aaron Judge contract on my show, but since then, we've had two particular contracts that I want to discuss. Uh, Brandon Nimmo, who signed an eight-year deal with the Mets, and Carlos Correa, who earlier this week signed a 13-year, $350 million deal with the Giants. And the reason why I want to discuss those contracts is because baseball, to me, seems to be getting out of hand with some of this money that's going around, particularly since I don't really feel that any of these players or some of these players, I should say, are really worthy of the money that's going on. But I want to bring in somebody to help me speak about this because maybe I'm looking at baseball in 2022 in a different light. And I'm going to bring on a buddy of mine named Richie Hicks. Richie's got one of the better podcasts that you can listen to because he's very passionate. They do a great job covering football. But in speaking baseball with Richie, I realized that he's got he's got the goods there too. So I'm going to pop him up here with me because I need Rick, Richie to educate me on something here because it could be me. I could be the problem with baseball in 2020 in 2022 so joining me right now my good friend richie hicks rich how are you sergio how you doing brother thanks for having me on the show no man listen thank you for coming on i had the pleasure to be on your show and the good thing was that you know when you go on these different uh different shows whether it's uh live on the air doing a podcast what you end up noticing is that the ideas that are shared are so good because everybody gives you a different point of view. And some of the things that you shared on your show while we were going back and forth really made me think, and ju they just make you better. So I appreciate you for, for having me on your show. Thank you. Richie, let's get into this contract here. Let's go. Let's go to the Brandon Nimmo contract first. Okay. Now, again, I'm going to preface this by saying that maybe it's Sergio that doesn't understand baseball in 2022, and I'm still stuck in 2004. And the reason okay. I say that is because you cannot convince me. Now, let's put inflation aside. We understand that certain dollars and cents are going to be inflated based on, you know, just the fact that it's 15, 20 years later. We get that. But to what degree? Because when the money was being thrown around hand over fist in, in the early, in the late nineties, early two thousands, those guys numbers, whether it was bonds, a rod, et cetera, you know, Throw in Jeter, because I don't want anybody to say, oh, it was just steroid guys. No, it wasn't just steroid guys, okay? Because realistically, if you're going to tell me that a guy like a Derek Jeter 
a guy like, you know, now you could even say Piazza because he's in the Hall of Fame, right? This is what these sports writers are telling me, that those guys didn't use steroids. Mm -hmm. Those guys were still getting major money, but their numbers were significantly better than the guys that played in the 70s and 80s. But now we're, we're seeing a guy like Brandon Nimmo get an eight-year, $162 million deal. Now, before you even speak to me about that contract, let me share this with you. Brandon Nimmo has been in the big league seven years, five full seasons. His career home run total, 63. So you say to yourself, okay, well, he's not a power guy. He's a speed guy, right? Indeed. His career stolen bases, 23. Hmm. And I don't mean I, for, I, I don't wasn't mean, aware. I don't mean for one year. I mean career. He's a he's got 213 RBI in his career. And he's a 269 yes. hitter. And oh, by the way, he's not exactly Mike Trout in center field. So <laughs> tell me how a player of that caliber warrants. million, and you expect me to think that baseball is in a good spot right now? Sergio, I think it's mind-blowing. I think he's very good at what he does, in my opinion. He's a good defensive outfielder. Doesn't have a lot of pop, to your point, but I think it's a sign of the times in baseball of how much money the billionaires are making. And this is why a guy who I deem as a role player, and you can make an argument, maybe not even the fifth best offensive met. That is uh, definitely a head scratcher to me. And look, I get that certain teams, certain players have certain values to certain teams that they don't have to others. So I understand that to the Mets, he might be more valuable than someone else. But at, 162 million? I mean, we're talking about a guy who had his career year last year, right? Yeah. That that was his career year. It was 16 home runs and 200 and he batted 274. I think the thing that's the real scratcher on this is, head scratcher is that I don't feel it makes the Mets better. You're right. I thought he really was walking. And I certainly didn't think he was going to get paid that handsomely. I I was blown away with that. I consider him a solid role player. But in no era of this sport do I recall anybody being in that that class of salary versus his peers. It's it's very crazy. Now look, I've seen guys become that after they get the money. But I haven't seen guys put up those numbers and the, and then get that kind of, like what are you going to give a guy like Byron Buxton then? Yes, that's a that's a good example of Byron Buxton is a perfect example similar to Nemo. Because Buxton to me, when healthy, because that's been his problem, when healthy, Buxton is a lot better player than Nemo. I, I have to agree. I have to agree. As a Yankee fan, I wanted Nemo, but not for that. I, I wanted him for the defensive aspect. And I, I got figured, news for you, he's, uh, not, exactly, he's, he's not exactly Willie Mays in center field either. No, sir. That he's not, um, you know, discount Ben Attendee deal. I think uh, the Yankees and uh, Ben Attendee's camp would be happy. But that is a lot of money. And, uh, 
not to dive into the Mets, I'm just going to say they made a couple of questionable moves with Uncle Steve throwing the money around. Correct, because we could get into the signing of Verlander, which, again, from a, from a money standpoint, I would rather have Verlander at two than DeGrom at five. I'd rather have Verlander because he's more reliable than DeGrom, but the fact is you are getting a 40-year-old who's going to have to pitch four months in cold weather. That could be an issue. I know we could discuss a million things about, about that. But that, to me, that Nimmo contract is going to have major, major repercussions with other players and is going to create a lot of issues amongst owners. Believe you that that will be a major topic of conversation in private meetings between owners because again, it turns over the market a thousand percent a thousand for players percent. that are good but certainly not great. I guess my point is this, Richie. What is his one defining tool? Normally, when we see guys getting close to two hundred million, they're five tool players. Now, I granted, think the best compliment I could give him as a ball player, I think he has a very high baseball IQ. I will give him that. I'm not paying for intelligence. I'm because this isn't. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'd rather have a dumb guy that hits fifty home runs. I mean, it's just the way it comes down. Uh, and, and that's and that's the that's my point. Like, what is his defining trait? What is the one thing that Brandon Nimmo does at the top of the food chain in his profession that will pay him at the top of the food chain in his profession? The answer is none. The answer yeah, is none. I mean, he's fast, but to a level. I understand that. That's also. A sign of the times in today's game, twenty-three stolen where bags aren't being stolen at the same ferocity of, say, the Lou Brock or even the Ricky Henderson era. And I understand that too. It's a different game, but no, no, no. That that is going to be a headache for but, many but to, an owner moving forward. But Richie, at least steal thirty a season, not twenty-three for your career. The other contract that I want to discuss is Carlos Correa. Now, Correa is another guy gets thirteen years, three hundred fifty million. Now, to be fair, the Giants probably looked at that situation and said, we didn't get judged. The mm-hmm. Dodgers are always doing a million things. San Diego's always do, is, has become this spending machine. We have to do something here. Now, here's the other thing. Carlos Correa, you want to know things that Carlos Correa has never done? Never hit 30 Go. home runs. Okay. Never drove in 100. Okay. Never hit 40 doubles. Never hit more than 160 base hits. Only he scored a lot of games, too. Uh, yeah, that's a whole separate issue. Scored 100 runs one time. In eight <laughs> years, his career average, 19 home runs, 69 RBI, career 279 hitter. $350 million. <laughs> And I'll tell you what, no one's ever going to buy tickets to go watch Carlos Correa play. So it's not like you're signing a player. Uh, Batting average not being as valued as it was in the 70s and 80s. And I also think from that standpoint of a batter, uh, strikeouts aren't frowned upon in the same way that they were in an era not too long ago. I think um, the strikeout is recognized the same way as a flyout now. It doesn't have the same bearing or the same... uh, I guess you could say a hole in a player's game because 
certain guys from the old school, they, they wore that badge of honor of being all-around players. And being an all-around player means that you didn't strike out at a ferocious rate. Correct. And, you know, the thing with Correa is that I give him credit. You know, I, I was thinking about this last night. You know who Carlos Correa essentially is? He's Kurt Schilling. And let me explain. He is. Let's see. We're a hot commodity in the league at one time. Uh, maybe a Nomar Garcia Para, but not even. No, he's not people. that good. You took Garcia Para was a three forty. He's more like the no. And let me explain hey, to you why he's I more say like Kurt the Nomar on the on the slide. Well, well, let me explain to you what I mean by Kurt Schilling. Let me explain mm-hmm. to you what I mean by Kurt Schilling. He's a guy who's built a reputation in big games in the playoffs. Indeed, with two different organizations. But his, but his. Um, but his regular seasons, although Schilling early had better success with Philly, yes. If you if you take away his playoff accomplishments, which I always do when I judge a player, I'm not one mm-hmm. of these guys that judges playoff um, numbers when I'm ranking Hall of Famers. But if you take away his playoff numbers. No one will ever tell you that Kurt Schilling was a Hall of Famer. What made him, in some people's eyes, like Chris Russo and these guys who are big proponents of him being a Hall of Famer, was his ability to perform in the playoffs. That's how Correa has gotten a little notoriety here. Because if it's just based on regular season, I mean, he leaves a lot to be desired. And I think it speaks volumes on the dip between your elite shortstops and everybody else that plays that position. You take a guy like a Dansby Swanson that is going to be sought after, and I think you could make a case on a regular season level that he could even be more effective than a Carlos Correa. A thousand but then again, percent. we talk the playoffs. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. And, and Swanson is now probably got his – Salary raised about 50 or 60 million with this contract because now Minnesota will probably be in play. So it's crazy. But I thought that I, that, that I, that, but I did want to get your opinion before we did a little football on this stuff because maybe I, sometimes, you know, it could be you, you know what I'm saying? Like, and when I say you, I mean me, you know, that I'm looking at this in a different way. But there were players that were getting major money whose numbers were better. That there's no, these numbers now. These guys are getting paid now, putting up numbers like the guys, like middle infielders did, you know, in the late 90s before the, in the late 80s before the boom came, right? Um, I think back, I'll give you a guy like uh, an average run-of-the-mill shortstop like Andujar Cedeno was a 1760 guy. That guy right now is worth, you know, that guy was a bum theoretically mm-hmm. by by major league standards in that time right now he'd be he'd be getting 150 million dollars it's crazy crazy the way that they're valuing these players nowadays you know I do want to say one thing about that ahead. position go ahead the most iconic yankee in recent memory mr derek jeter now i'm a devout yankee fan and i love jeter but i will say that i've had fans of other fan bases essentially say, who would he be if he uh, hypothetically played in, say, like a market like a Kansas City? 
he would have been... Because some of the metrics of his game yeah, would no. not stand out elite. No, and that I is agree. another example I've... of the second season making him legendary. Listen, 100%, because I'm not one of these believers that Derek Jeter is an elite all-time great. I don't believe that. I think he is a second-tier Hall of Famer. So, a wonderful player, but also thrived because of the protection he got in that lineup. And in the moments. Absolutely. The Can't take nothing thing, away from his clutch. The best got thing that, that Derek, give him. The best thing Derek Jeter did was remain the same player regardless of the situation. Indeed. I feel that even you could critique his defense and say that he wasn't among some of his contemporaries like an A-Rod or a prime Garcia Parra. But what separated him was his consistency. A thousand percent. Take me to the NFL this week because you guys do a great job breaking down these games on your show, uh, the Richie Hicks podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, go listen to it. But there's a couple of games that are very important, okay? And I'm going to throw them out there and, you know, tell me exactly from a ramification standpoint what you guys discussed on your show and what you think here. The 49ers, All right. the 49ers are at the Seahawks tonight. Now, I'm going to tell you that I believed all week I'm a big proponent of home teams on Thursday nights. The trend has shown that. But I was also told Purdy's a little banged up, quarterback for the 49ers. Yes, Seattle, indeed, he is. Seattle's coming into this game extremely desperate. This is their season. The 49ers come in here understanding that although they have a chance to get the three seed, the chances are the health is more important. Are there? Are they going to have that same type of foot to the accelerator tonight? Who wins this game and why? I'll put it to you like this. For the 49ers to win the game, they've got to play their brand of defense. And Geno Smith was a little shaky last week. I do believe Kenneth Walker is going to play. But like any other football game, you got to stop the run and you got to force Geno into third and not so manageable because they do have two wonderful wide receivers. Um, but I also think the 49ers have embodied consistency all year. And I think even with a banged up Purdy and even with Debo not playing, they have a deep enough roster to get this road victory and it's going to be a very close game. Okay, so you have the 49ers winning and going to 10-4 and four, and you have Seattle at 7-7 seven and seven after today. Yes, after what I saw against Carolina, I understand on any given Sunday you could come up flat, but I, it just didn't sit well with what they looked like for me. Uh, I guess essentially saying the eye test. I think they're going to struggle stopping the run, and uh, I believe you could make a case for the coaching aspect of it. It's going to be a lot of fun seeing these two great minds go at it. I'm going to have the 49ers losing this game and going – to eight uh, to nine and five, and Seattle going to eight and six. And the reason why I'm mentioning the record is because we'll wrap that up later on when we discuss scenarios. Buffalo and Miami Saturday night. It's going to be cold as hell. The last two weeks and games that have been against good defenses, Tua has struggled. He's gone back to being the Tua that we've seen. Trouble throwing the ball. Trouble when the windows get tighter. 
They're playing Buffalo. It's going to be cold. He's got a pea shooter for an arm. <laughs> and Buffalo's got a revenge game. You're down in that yes, market. Do. You're down in Florida in that market. A, what are the Dolphins fans feeling? B, who wins this game? A, the Dolphins fans are feeling some fear because the last two years of the Brian Flores regime, they managed to just miss the playoffs, and I think they're starting to say, oh, no, not the same movie again. You got a banged-up Tyreek Hill, a banged-up Jalen Waddell, and a coach that doesn't seem to commit to the run when he should or doesn't stick with the run when he should. And I think it's a recipe for defeat. And to your point, Buffalo has revenge on the mind, and I have Buffalo winning this game possibly by two touchdowns. I agree with you. I think Buffalo's going to come in. They have the the one seed and the division in front of them, and, and they're getting a little healthier. Don't forget, when Miami did beat them, they basically were just decimated by injuries, particularly... Not to mention heat exhaustion early in the season up in Miami, or down in Miami, I should say. Correct, correct. The Jets and the Lions. So now the Jets, trying to salvage their season, have to figure out a way to get two or three more wins. The Lions at home needs to be one of those wins. Conversely, Detroit's been hot. They have. Playing a good brand of football. Me personally, I think the Jets, because defensively, they have been playing at an elite level, figure out a way to win this game. I don't know if they figure it out 15-12, 17-13. I don't know how, but I believe the Jets will figure out a way to win this game. I agree with you, Sergio. I got the Jets winning by three in the low 20s. Okay, so we're, we're, we're on board with that. That essentially is going to eliminate Detroit from a playoff contention. And that's very indeed. Inter- yeah, and that's very interesting when we wrap up the segment a little bit later. Titans Chargers, both teams come in at 7 and 6. The Titans have a little bit of leeway because of the division they play in. The Chargers are essentially playing a playoff game. The Chargers showed you when they're good, they're good. Like they did last week. I think the problem with the Chargers is always the coaching. They always yeah, figure you can out. track that back to last year's season finale. Correct. They always figure out a way to go for some ridiculous fourth and three or something. I still yes, think the Chargers win, and I still think the Chargers are going to push for a playoff spot. I do too, Sergio, and I will say this. I like them in this game. I like them by a touchdown, and I also believe that the Jacksonville Jaguars still have a door open should they be able to pull off a home upset against those Cowboys. And let me tell you something. They can definitely win that Cowboy game, and I'm going to give you two reasons why. One, in order to beat the Cowboys, you have to have some type of semblance of balance in your offense, which which they have been gaining the last couple of weeks. I've been singing their praises on my show. That's number one. The credit to their coach. 100%. Because year one was a wasted year with Urban Meyer. It looks like Lawrence is finally developing. A thousand percent. Number two, and probably the most important factor here, 
The Cowboys have to look at that schedule and say to themselves, the Philadelphia Eagles are not going to lose another game. Yeah, yeah you're not. right about that. The schedule's so bad, they're just not. Even Unless if they lay down week 18, maybe. And even that's not yeah, guaranteed. Yeah, but they won't do that if the Cowboys are only one game behind. Yes, sir. That's why that Christmas uh, holiday game is going to be such a big one. But it's not a big one if the if the Eagles don't lose another game. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. So the Cowboys have to be thinking to themselves, we're almost locked into the five seed. Oh, yeah, it almost looks like a short date with whoever wins the South. Correct. So are you really going to go on the road, but to the accelerator, knowing that you're locked into the five seed, I mean, I think that's the opening for Jacksonville. Now, if Dallas comes out and they play their game, yeah, they're a touchdown to 10 points better than Jacksonville. But but there is an opening. I agree with you. There is an opening for Jacksonville. I think Jacksonville's arrival truly will be next year. I think this is just kind of like an appetizer. I got the uh, Cowboys winning the game, but being challenged. Okay. Two more games here that are going to factor in. The Bengals at 9-4 and four have played themselves into a situation here where they can contest for the one seed, particularly if Buffalo slips. Why? Because they have the tiebreaker on Kansas City, who they just beat. That's, that's very, right. That's very important when you start factoring in the, the seeding, right? On top of that, or aside from that, the other end is that Tampa Bay is six and seven, being saved only by the division they're in. But the other two teams, particularly with Carolina winning last week, are now one. They have two teams that are only one game out, and they can lose this game. This could become. Sergio, very watching the Tampa offense has been so painful. Oh, um, I was killing Tom Brady, and I don't show. have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything to base my opinion on this game off of just a gut hunch. Kind of like the way that you feel coming off super flat for Seattle. This is my weird one where I think the Buccaneers are going to keep themselves in the game and beat a team that they're not better than. And beat a team that, honestly, if they played 10 times, the losing team, in my opinion, would win seven of them. I think Tampa's going to sneak one out. I think their defense is going to show up. And um, I just have a funny feeling Joe Burrow might not be uh, all the way on. Okay. Both teams have one distinct weakness. It's that middle of each O-line where if you play it right, you can get to both these quarterbacks. But obviously one is mobile and one is old. Essentially, Should be a close game. Okay. Uh, listen, I, I I really don't – I could see that game going either way. I really could. As, as Even though Cincinnati's a much better team. Oh, no doubt. I could, I could see that. I could see that, especially being a 4 o'clock game. Um, I know all of Las Vegas is hoping that because I think the line is dictating you. They're almost begging you to take the Bengals. We're, we're, we're going to find out. The Sunday night game. I kind of got that vibe. I, I agree, Sergio. I hear you. I hear you. The Sunday night game is essentially a playoff game. I think the yes, winner, I think the winner because of the tie that they both have will be in. I think the loser if Seattle wins tonight, we'll probably end up being out. Good possibility. 
I, two weeks ago, liked the Giants in that game. I felt the Giants at home should have won that game. They were they they should in a, in a 50-50 game, which that game should be, they should have won that game. Indeed. I think the Giants lost their playoff chances that day because now the same way I liked the Giants 2 weeks ago, I really like Washington this week. I the just, challenge is the week off yeah. and essentially playing the same opponent two consecutive games. Hey, listen, you can come up with a million scenarios. You being a Giant fan, I'm sure you're going to come up with the scenarios that lead you guys with that W. I just don't understand how a team two weeks ago at home blows that opportunity and then you expect me to feel confident about them having to go on the road to win a similar type of game. That's my, that I can't shake that one. That's why I did have the Giants winning two weeks ago and I have them losing this week. Small little fact. Daniel Jones, who is 11 games under 500 for the career, has a pretty good record against the Washington Redskins, the Washington Commanders, the Washington football team. Um, Either way, Sergio, I expect this game to be within four or five points. Correct. I'm predicting the Giants to win by four. Okay. The Giants are going to come in relaxed. They better not come in too relaxed. They came in relaxed last week and got their blower, the doors blown off. Oh, my. That looked like a car wreck. That was terrible, man. I turned the game off before it really started. I ended up watching the Jet game. Okay, so you essentially believe the Giants are going to win this game, so you're locking them into, into a playoff position. Then... You really have Washington. If Seattle loses tonight, which you have, then you really feel like both teams are going to be in then. It is my gut hunch that both these teams are going to make the playoffs. Uh, Washington will play Dallas. You made a good point about Dallas probably being locked into the five. It, it could take a little edge off of the importance of it for Dallas. You're talking that about is a week 18 matchup yeah, as well. Exactly. That's what I was going to clear up for the audience. The tie helps both teams, actually. And I will say this as a fan. If the Giants lose, albeit on the banana peel, I still don't rule them out. Because after this game, for Seattle, they have to deal with the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. Okay, that's one. So I still think there's some puncher's chance, even if the Giants should lose the game. But I do like the Giants this week. But I think both the teams on Sunday night will find themselves in the playoffs. Well, here's the th that's because you see Seattle losing tonight. See, I have Seattle winning tonight. My thing is and this. That, yeah. My thing yeah. is this. I have Seattle winning nine games. I do. Which would make them nine and eight over the 17 games. Well, well wait a minute. I'm talking about Derek locked into nine now. It, even without, because remember, they have the Jets and the Rams to finish off the season. They have Seattle. They have Kansas City next week, but they have they have two home games: the Jets and the Rams. So if they lose tonight, I still see them winning nine games. But the tiebreaker becomes a factor then. That's correct because nine six and one would beat out, um, or excuse me, nine seven and one would beat out nine and eight. Correct. Now the question here becomes: What's the other giant win? 
I would probably say indie. Okay. I would probably say indie. Uh, while I don't think all that highly of the Minnesota Vikings, historically we just don't play well over in Minnesota. Okay. Now let's say now let's say you lose on Sunday night. Let's say Seattle loses, and the Giants lose. Okay. Okay. They're at seven and six. I still think they get to nine. Because okay. I, they do have those two home games against the Jets and the Rams. How do the Giants then get to nine? We don't unless unless if Philly marches out their B and C squad for Correct. week 18, which is a distinct possibility a could happen. Yeah, that's a good point. But given the history... The Eagles will never do the Giants a favor, and quite frankly, a couple of seasons ago, while it would have been a dubious distinction to win the NFC East with a 6-10 and record, the Eagles took out their starters when they had the game possibly won, and I think that was flicking the bird to their turnpike rivals. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you're right. And, you know, here's the other thing you have to remember. The advantage that if that week 18 – becomes a factor or a deciding factor between the Washington uh, Redskins, formerly known as the Redskins, and right. the Giants. Right. Philly, Dallas is more likely to rest their starters because they play the following week. Philly's more likely to let those guys play to not give them a couple of weeks off because they would be the one seed. Even half the game in the and the truth is half the game could be all they need in order to secure a victory because we saw what happened this past week. Um, on the flip side, the Giants should be healthier when that second meeting occurs, so they should be more competitive. But quite frankly, uh, Stevie Wonder could have saw just the overmatch on every level and every nuance of the game. No excuses. Philly is that much better than the Giants right now. Richie, thank you for popping up, my brother. I appreciate you. I needed to, uh, I needed to have you on because, like I said, I, I really had a good time on your show, and uh, I'm glad that you were able to uh, make some time for me this morning. Oh, always a pleasure to do anything sports related with you, Sergio. And I would just like to share: um, you can find the Richie Hicks Jr. Sports Podcast on YouTube. Definitely give it a like and a subscription. And I hope everyone enjoys this week. Uh, Great talking to you, Sergio. I hope you have a great day, buddy. Thank you. That was Richie Hicks Jr. from the Richie Hicks Podcast. And you've been listening to the Sergio Rodriguez Show, a show unlike any other.